In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. For exclusive podcasts and more, sign up at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. This week's Law and Order Marathon. Whoa. This week's Law and Order. Why am I saying law like that? This week's Law and Order Marathon winner is Jody Hainman from Black River Falls, Wisconsin. Jody will get a marathon decal showing she watched 26.2 hours of her favorite crime show. Be next week's winner. Sign up at lawandorderpodcast.com. I'm Kevin Flynn with Rebecca Lavoie and Nigel Poor. Oh. And these are their stories. You think you know who did it, but you don't know who did it. Law and order, law and order, law and order. It's no ordinary police procedural, baby. It's the FNOG of police procedures, baby. Law and order, law and order, law and order, law and order. These are their stories, these are their stories. Welcome to These Are Their Stories, the podcast about Network TV's most enduring crime franchise and the real-life cases that inspired their shows. I'm Kevin Flynn. Each podcast will break down an episode from either Criminal Intent, SVU, or Original Recipe. And today we're looking at Special Victims Unit, Season 17, Episode 4, Institutional Fail. His supervisor, Jeanette Grayson, claims that DCS is launching an internal investigation. You mean cover-up? Keisha's dead. What's there to cover-up? Their complicity. The caseworker botched this. You want to prosecute the caseworker? Joining me to do that is true crime author and the host of Crime Writers On and Netflix's You Can't Make This Up podcasts, Rebecca Lavoie. Hello, Rebecca. Hello, Kevin. I plan to say nothing for all this podcast and have my big scene at the end. Exactly. (laughs) Well, you know how I love it when they get a really big guest star and you expect a lot out of them and they don't give you anything until the end. (laughs) And that leads me to introduce our very special guest star who hopefully will deliver... It's from the Ear Hustle podcast, Nigel Poor. Can't believe it. Nigel, <laughs> I cannot believe you are on our stupid podcast. Oh my God, I'm smiling. My smile is so big right now, I can barely talk. I'm so excited to be here. And I am. Oh, I... <laughs> I'm going to try not to laugh the whole time. <laughs> Look, Ear Hustle has been nominated twice for a Peabody Award. You were a finalist for the very first Pulitzer Prize for audio reporting. I want to welcome you to the iHeartRadio Awards submitted. <laughs> These are their stories. <laughs> So happy to be here. I can't tell you. Hey, we were once a finalist for an award that we, we did, didn't and we win. lost to those jerks from the blacklist. Blacklist exposed. Still haven't gotten over a show it. nobody actually watches. Yeah, but a good podcast nonetheless. Um, Nigel, I got to ask, what was the pitch meeting like with the Department of Corrections? You wanted to do a podcast like Ear Hustle. Oh well, the thing that was really great about it was that um, they didn't really know what a podcast was. And so- Perfect. <laughs> So when we pitched it, they were like, sure. <laughs> and I, they also thought we would never be successful. I mean, I, I, mm. they've been very supportive. And Lieutenant Robinson, who, you know, uh, listens and okays all of our stories, is great. Yeah. But he really didn't think we would be He's successful. He's the cypherator of uh, your hustle. <laughs> he comes out at the end. <laughs> this was just fine. No state secrets were divulged in this exactly. podcast. <laughs> Then once it started, and I say this humbly, once it started growing and getting big, it was too late for them to say anything. So <laughs> That's right. The world was watching. Exactly. And listening. I got to ask, does Erlon uh, like uh, Law & Order? What's his cell phone number? I'm asking for a friend. <laughs> oh, no. This is what he told me. I told him I was doing the show, and he said, make sure you tell people it doesn't matter if they watch a thousand episodes of Law & Order. They do not know anything about the justice system. <laughs> <laughs> oh really? I thought this was like law school. Here I was thinking this is also realistic. Yeah, he's like, no, you do not have a law degree after this. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, I, I think the challenge has been thrown down. So. <laughs> exactly. I don't think he knows really about Hudson. <laughs> <laughs> Nigel, of all the franchises, which two cops are your favorite detective team? Favorite Law and Order detective team. Okay, I I I, I don't want to be judged. Because I, I respect Rebecca so much, but I think you know what I'm going to say now. Stabler and Benson. I, I'm That's sorry, okay. I like Stabler. Yeah. 
A lot of people like Stabler and Benson. And you know what? I like them as a team as well. I just think that Elliot Stabler is a jerk. I know. (laughs) I'm excited for him coming back, though, in a special show. I actually am. Yeah, me too. I mean, I think about, oh, Stabler, Stabler. Like, well, would you rather have Amaro? It's like, no fucking way. (laughs) Get Maloney on the phone. But kind of his jerkiness, I, I... I guess it says something about me, but I sort of like his jerkiness. I wouldn't want to be around him, but it's it's entertaining, right. you know, to watch. Right. And and I and they're sort of the way they interact is interesting to me. I mean, Benson is always great. I don't I just love her too. I really think and the episode we're about to talk about was like peak Benson, like hair older lady beauty. Oh, I just yeah. think she's so gorgeous in this episode. And Kevin, I know you hate it when I talk about that, but like she really I think like this is like Peak Marishka. Yes. We oh, just yeah. watched. Five years ago. <laughs> <laughs> but she is gorgeous. She's always been gorgeous. She I is. love her hair. I like the way she mm-hmm. does her makeup. Me too. Her clothes are conservative, but she wears them well. I don't know what's mm-hmm. not to like about her. Exactly. Great outerwear. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. Yep. And Nigel, who's your favorite prosecutorial team? Favorite law and order district attorney prosecutorial team. Okay, now I'm gonna. I decided I was gonna be honest on the show. I I don't really have yeah. one, and I'm gonna go with Jack McCoy because I just know him the best. But I feel like the you know like Abby Carmichael I threw out there. But I find the women he works with a little interchangeable. Mm, You're not, not alone. You, yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> All right. Now let's look at the first half of this episode. SVU season seventeen, episode four, institutional fail. Uh, programming note: because of a two-part season opener. This episode is listed as episode three on some streaming services. Also in this podcast, we'll be talking about fictional detectives investigating fictional crimes against fictional children. So if you still find that especially heinous, it's okay for you to listen to another one of our podcasts. We'll break out the fisheye lens. We're going to see little Bruno (laughs) finding nothing. It was the perv camera. (laughs) Finding nothing but the empty cupboards in his squalor-filled apartment. Mm. Uh, He makes his way out of the housing complex and crosses the street against the lights, by the way. Very dangerous. Yep. And he goes into a bodega where the cashier, who would very easily sell you loose cigarettes, says, even this doesn't look right. Mm. He's got to be three years old, right? Shouldn't he be talking by now? Delayed speech. I mean, I'm not surprised. No one's taking care of him. He was filthy, several cavities, vitamin D levels were low, so he's not getting out much. Okay, so he's neglected, but any abuse? No broken bones or any signs of sexual trauma. Okay. But I want to run some more tests, and I'd like to talk to the parents. Well, so would we. Benson and Carisi go to child services to see if a caseworker can identify him. Keith Muzio digs out his files and brings them to the apartment. There they find Bruno's half-sister, Keisha, unconscious and locked in a dog cage. She dies soon after. They find Mom strung out on the street. She says the caseworker hadn't been in her place in months. But Keith's report said they were all fine two weeks ago. Benson convinces Barbara to pursue criminal charges against the Department of Child Services. SVU learns about the time Keith's co-worker went on maternity leave, his reports Stop being so detailed. Mm. And the rest of them were scanned into the system after he should die. That's when Deputy Chief Dodds and the douchey commissioner of police propaganda <laughs> tell Olivia to pause the investigation. That doesn't stop Barba, who makes his own decision to go after Keith, his supervisor, Jeanette, and the deputy commissioner and charge them all with manslaughter. All right, well, we start off by getting to see Bruno make his way out of the store mm. to go over and buy Hostess Snowballs. And he puts 99 cents up on the counter. First of all, 99 cents, good price for snowballs. <laughs> Not bad. It's, it's, it's okay. Second, are we supposed to believe, Nigel, that there's nothing in that apartment, but he found a bunch of change in the couch? I was wondering where that money came from, too. And I have to say, were they snowballs? I rewatched that so many times to find the name of that product. It was so pink. They were like Wonder something. They were- Mm. Oh, that must be why. Yes, I wonder. Like Twinkies cost this, but you get the little <laughs> Debbie ones for a nickel, and it's I had this can't be right. This is your question. Your question isn't why was uh, Mariska out on a date with Dodds? Oh, well, oh let's, <laughs> that's, let's get to that. Wait, yeah, before yeah. we get there, can I just talk about that weird camera? I know we're supposed to think it was from the kid's angle, but it was so yeah. creepy. It was like there mm. was you know some kind of horrible specter was following him, and then when he he steps out of the house and they have those hands. 
that frame that 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 frame his exit they're selling drugs it was so ridiculous mm-hmm. yeah it's so dangerous out here well oh, all you God. have to do to get a, a kid his age's perspective is have somebody walk with a handheld camera down low you don't have to make it all blurry like yeah. kids aren't blind yeah, they don't yeah, have yeah. weird cat vision <laughs> he had cavities not a cataract exactly <laughs> and i have to say he was so cute and it, it definitely was. looked like there were moments where they made his face look dirtier because sometimes he was so angelic his hair was really wonderful they, they show the cashier in the bodega, right? And he's in there, like, reading his newspaper or whatever, like, half not paying attention. And, like, we see someone puts the, uh, you know, the snowballs or whatever down, and he, you know, he asks for the money, and then his little hand comes up to put the change up there. How did he, like, see the snowballs get up there, too, right? It's like, all of a sudden, he's surprised. Did he think a ghost dropped in there? <laughs> I know. <laughs> then they cut to the, like, he backs up just a little bit, Bruno, so he can actually see him. I, it was, I don't know, it was pretty funny. And then, you know, I don't know if you guys know a photographer by training. And so I- You, you know, are? Yeah, so I pay a lot of attention to I knew to that. Training. Are you kidding? I know everything about you. Are you kidding? <laughs> <laughs> so the other thing that made me laugh was then he's sitting in this fruit bin when the detectives come in. Did you notice that? And oh, he, had, he had on like yellow and green and they had yellow and green and orange fruit surrounding him to kind of match his color, the colors he was wearing. Aww. Yep. And yet he still ate the snowballs and no <laughs> adult that was present thought, here kid, have an apple. Have an apple instead. Exactly. <laughs> we got we to gotta fingerprint those snowballs. <laughs> well, Becky, you're right. There was this, this bit in the beginning where Benson and Dodds are leaving some kind of event that seems very social. So that wasn't as horrible as I thought. You're going to be a lieutenant. You need to practice kissing those rings. Lieutenant. So I passed. And then some. When it's official, you can pick any command in the city. I'm happy where I am. Okay. You up for a nightcap? We need to talk about finding you a number two. No, it looks like they're and, like the Met or something. Yeah, yes, an opera. Yes. Something that's maybe quasi. Uh, it's something class related. Yeah. I don't think it was business related. It seemed like an arts event. There were lots of people walking out dressed up, and she turned to him and said something like, "That wasn't so bad," which made me think they like he took her to the opera or something. But then he yeah. said something about you have to kiss all the rings. Oh. Yeah, but he, this is also where she learns that she's going to be promoted to lieutenant because Dodds is making it happen, and it's also. In this past season, where we learned that she's going to become a captain because Dodds wants it too. So, mm. Nigel, is the message that a woman can climb the ladder just so long as a man is pulling her along? Oh, it was so weird. I mean, okay, my oh, was, question- that, was that sanctimonious? <laughs> no, it's really accurate. Is it accurate? Okay. I mean, I'm not saying it's accurate that it's true. I'm saying that the message is certainly, I yeah. think, says that. Well, is she usually that flirty? I was surprised. She seemed, um, they were walking so close, it kind of looked like mm-hmm. they were holding hands. And then did. He, yeah. Yeah. And then when he said, can we get a nightcap and talk about your number two? I mean, that was... Was, was he talking about her poop? That's I what I was not. wondering. Different kind of nightcap. <laughs> and then they show up at the bodega and like, Liv, chief, sorry to break up your date. It wasn't, it wasn't a date. A date. And like, no, it wasn't a date. No, no, they were so clear. That was not a date. That was not a date. Um, and, you know, the other thing in that scene, which happens all the time, is when somebody gets a phone call. Benson. And I timed it. It was like three seconds. Okay. Yeah, I'm on my way. You know, and yep. she already like has all the information about this horrible thing that's happened. Yep. Be right there. Yeah. <laughs> Where? You Where? Cut. Do you have the address? I don't think there was time for you to get that address. There was nothing. You caught on to the trope of a law and order phone call. That's right. That's yeah. right. I mean, you know that address was a hundred and something something street in some, you know, east or west. Like there were more words in the address than there were time uh, seconds in that phone call. But and I maybe say- they just have like a code where it's like Benson is a Code 57, same place as last week. Got it. <laughs> right, right. I just was glad that that, I, I mean, I'm sorry um, for the subject of that phone call, but I was glad that it broke up what looked like a potential date in a bad situation. Agreed. You know? yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. Small favors. She deserves better than those eyebrows. No <laughs> offense, Gallagher. Oh, and wait a minute. Does he wear a wig? Is that a wig? I don't, I don't know, but uh, he's famous for his eyebrows. That oh, sort of a thing. Yeah, yeah he has very luscious hair. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get to all those folks in a second, including Whoopi Goldberg, but when we see her come on and make introductions and say Sergeant Benson Benson and Detective Detective Carisi from SVU oh SVU what happened get your ass out of here don't talk to me like that treat me like a man oh excuse me uh you know uh I gotta you know we're like um yeah we're gonna see her again right Whoopi Goldberg no reason for her to just step out of the scene and exactly. never come back. It was so distracting that she was there that I almost didn't notice those kids in the cage in the middle of their office. <laughs> it's not a cage. <laughs> it was like a playpen, a giant red plastic With playpen. Plexi- it's like going to the waiting room at the 
pediatrician and <laughs> toys it? and stuff. In the middle of their office cubicles where those kids then have to overhear phone calls about like the horrible conditions and hear. You would think those kids would know what was going on there. They heard it all, right? Yeah. Oh, I know. And angry fathers coming in and yelling. That was... Yep. <laughs> I can see my kid right there. <laughs> Let's take a look at our cast. Okay. It's our very special guest star... Ms. Whoopi Goldberg. Yay! She is playing Jeanette Grayson. It's impossible. And everybody knows that you all know it. But you want to scapegoat me. You want to make me feel bad. You want to take me down so you can feel better about yourself. See? Because you pretended like you you don't know that there are poor people out there in the city. Broken people. Whoopi has an EGOT, Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, Tony, and the Golden Globe. What does she have a Grammy for? Um, that's a real question that is a good question I don't know but she has one so Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, Tony gonna go. don't worry Nigel she doesn't have a Pulitzer or a Peabody either oh, okay. so, her IMDB page says that she's known for having dreadlocks and no eyebrows what? what? I think she's known for more than that are you kidding? I'm not kidding she has an Oscar I know yeah. I just said that she's also on The View I know. but she's known for having no eyebrows <laughs> and dreadlocks Oh, I think people ought to be updated. I know her IMDb more page. for dating Ted Danson than I know her for having no eyebrows and dreadlocks. <laughs> oh my God. Do you think Peter Gallagher, they say he's known for his eyebrows? <laughs> hey, pass one around, Peter. Pass one around this episode. Are those anchovies on your face? <laughs> so Whoopi Goldberg, uh, again, I think the reason they bring her in primarily is because they got a, a good scene yeah. at some point. Who can play this scene? Who can play this scene? Yeah. Who would like to play this scene? Yeah. So, Whoopi, uh, you know, it's summertime while we're shooting. <laughs> the view might be on a break for a week. What do you say? It's probably going to take you about 20 minutes to do this whole damn thing. Mm, that's probably about right. I thought she did a good job in this role. Uh, Nigel, how about you? Yeah. I mean, at first, like like you both, I was like, what is she doing there? They're not using her at all. Um, so it was a slow burn and then... It was, yeah, it was quite a, quite a scene in the courtroom. Uh, Whoopi Goldberg was born Karen Elaine Johnson. Mm. I really don't see her as a Karen, although <laughs> she would like to speak to your supervisor. Imagine being named Karen in 2020. Yeah. I think that all the time. <laughs> Those poor Karens. Those poor, like, well-meaning Karens out there <laughs> who are not actually Karens. <laughs> so we have some repeat offenders. We do? Repeat offender. Run through them real quick. We have Peter Gallagher yep. reprising his role as Deputy Chief Dodds. The commissioner wanted us to convey that as of now, this is not a police matter. He's best known for being asleep while you were while you were sleeping. <laughs> um, no, he was the dad on the OC. That's what he's best know, he's known for know, for me. Summer lovers, Plus, a million things. Broadway actor, accomplished, right? Yeah. Uh, we also have Josh Pace. I'm not just in charge of press for NYPD. I'm the commissioner's right hand. I work for him, and so do you. He's the deputy commissioner, Hank Abraham. 28 Law & Order Universe appearances. He's best known for having resting dick face. <laughs> uh, Are we going to get to talk about the expressions that he uses? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, we'll, okay, get okay. To, okay. we'll get to him. And we also see again... Uh, Scott William Winters. Our sergeant suggested SVU would be better equipped to handle a lost kid. As Detective Dumbass. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, it's pronounced Dumas. <laughs> uh, he's the brother of Dean Winters, who plays Cassidy, and he, we had him on our show about, on, it was uh, Original Recipe Tango was the episode we had him on. He's best known for telling Matt Damon, yes, I do like apples, why do you ask? Oh, okay, so can I have a question? He's the guy in the bodega who, like, hands off, punts the case to them, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah. guy looks like blonde Cassidy, Yeah, because this is his brother. <laughs> when I saw the uh, Detective Dumas, I was like, man, he looks like a low-rent version of that guy who plays Liz Levin's boyfriend on 30 Rock. <laughs> You're correct. <laughs> I, I don't That's know. his brother. <laughs> but it must be so shitty to be in an acting family and be the one who's like, oh, he kind of is like the better one. Yes, yeah. you gotta hurt like Kevin Dillon. Yeah. yeah, or the Baldwins. Like, there's just yeah, that's Stephen Baldwin, yeah. <laughs> Donnie Wahlberg. Oh, that other Hemsworth brother who's in Westworld. Yeah, oh, yeah. God. <laughs> or the creepy Skarsgård who plays the clown. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's like it's like this. It's like the Shrinky Dink version of their hotter, better looking, more muscular yeah. siblings. Yeah, Shrinky Dink is perfect. But let's talk about her hate that guy. He is. That guy. Does anyone recognize the actor playing Keith? Look, Ozuna's weren't even my family to begin with. 
My colleague has been on maternity leave, so now I have twice the workload. Okay. I'm, I'm doing 12-hour turns here, rushing through visits, and all the paperwork and the court appearances. Okay. okay. Uh, was he in Newsies? <laughs> he was not in Newsies. Because he looks like he could have been in Newsies. <laughs> yeah. Was he a child actor? I don't think so. Okay. Uh, that's John Magaro. You would probably know him as Vince on Orange is the New Black. Hmm. What? I don't know. Well, Nigel, Vince. Orange is the New Black. It takes place in a prison. Are you familiar <laughs> with this concept in entertainment? <laughs> I did not recognize him. But did either of you think that he sounded like a sad David Sedaris? Yeah, yeah. yeah he did. <laughs> that, was, that was my I'm just trying to, to do my job. <laughs> poor I'm not guy. supposed to talk to them. <laughs> How about Manuela, the mom? Anyone uh, recognize this uh, this actress? Okay, no, but she had good eyebrows too. I don't know if mm, you noticed she that she had good eyebrows. Oh, man. Last time I seen him, he was up my ass about feeding my kids chips for dinner. Chips. We found your daughter in a cage, starving. Well, that's Keisha's fault. If she shut up, stop crying. Maybe she'd earn herself some food. That's Jessica Pimentel. Mm-hmm. She's Maria on Orange is the New Black. Wow. What? So we're getting a theme here. A lot of crossover. Yeah. Uh, I think, who thinks probably spend more time behind bars, Nigel, you or these two actors? <laughs> uh, no, you know what? I think I'm going to say I have. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, actors. Jessica is both a classically trained violinist mm-hmm. and a heavy metal bass player. Wow. Good for her. Mm. Yeah. Her nickname is The Crusher. Wow. Is that like her like roller derby name? I don't know. <laughs> oh, wow. That would be amazing. <laughs> I, I'm hoping she got it from the heavy metal band and not from the orchestra. Mm. You'd crush that one. You know, I, just can't see it. I feel like I have to watch her performance again now. I, I, I kind of wrote her off. When you start off the, the role as a strung out junkie on the street, they really take liberties with wardrobe and makeup yeah, yeah, as far definitely. as how you're going to look. You're like, mom, your own mom is not going to recognize you on that role. Lastly, the guy who plays Frank. Frank was the security guard in that quick scene that Whoopi like said, "Hey Frank, help us out." Them out. I'm just trying to see my daughter. Okay, let's go, sir. Any idea? Anybody recognize him? No, no. I mean, how would we? He was like 20 feet away from the camera, and he's tall. Yeah. yeah. So it's like his head is almost out of the frame. That's Christopher Brian Roach. Uh, he would go on to be Kevin James' buddy Mott oh. for two seasons on Kevin Can Wait. Okay. So he's you know ended up having like a steady job. Good for him. Hmm. Uh, as a fellow Kevin, Rebecca can attest that <laughs> I cannot wait either. <laughs> All right, so Olivia and Amanda go to Barba to convince him that the caseworkers are covering up for their inaction, and that led to Keisha's death. Keisha didn't lose 20 pounds in two weeks. If Keith had actually been showing up for his visits, he would have noticed. And she'd still be alive. Okay, all right, I get it. You're angry, emotional. If you want me to go after this guy, I'm going to need more than maternal outrage to make a case. And he tells two women one of whom is pregnant, that they're being emotional. That's right. Yeah. How is this man still alive? A man who would later cry in the courtroom tells these two women they're being angry <laughs> and emotional. Yeah. My, my favorite thing about that scene is he's saying, is it as bad as the papers say? And to the camera, he's holding the paper outwards and the giant headline says, Bodega Boy Nightmare. <laughs> was, yeah. was he the one who said we need more than maternity outrage? Yes. Oh, <laughs> Maternal outrage. Maternal. Yeah, sorry. Say, sorry. Yeah. Maternal. Yeah, say that to a pregnant woman again. <laughs> My God. You can tell this guy's never been married. Yeah. And now we know why. Now we know why. <laughs> now and, we know why Mariska let him walk away. Yes, it has nothing to do with Carisi either, just for the record. Uh, <laughs> hey, it's clear that the police brass do not want this going anywhere, but Mm-mm. Barba doesn't report to them. Mm. So he calls a press conference, and we assume he indicts him. He just doesn't, like, tell people to go arrest him. Early last Saturday morning, eight-year-old Keisha Houston died after her mother, Manuela Osuna, locked her in a dog cage. Now, first off, who are all those other people at that press conference? No idea. And I and why is he having the press conference? Isn't he just at ADA? Wouldn't his boss be having that press conference? Nigel, he's apparently doing everything. Yeah, he's on the press yeah. conference. He called the media. He got the sign made up at Kinko's. He's doing the trial himself. Nobody knows what he's doing. Wait, is that because he's the tall poppy? He's the tall poppy. Is that like Pappy Poppy? Yeah, he's the tall poppy, all right. And then everyone gets arrested. Like, uh, you know, it's like the scene in The Godfather. Father, oh, totally, totally. Now we see, you know, uh, uh, Jeanette and Matt, the deputy commissioner, get busted at the office. But Carisi, like, grabs up Keith 
at this makeshift memorial in front of Keisha's apartment. Keisha's apartment. How did he know she was there? Exactly. A place that he has, like, we know he's never been. <laughs> was he staking it out? Like, okay, we see Good question. Like, this is where you're going to arrest him. Exactly. I have a question. Yeah. When did Amanda Rollins become a statement analysis expert? Oh, my God. <laughs> I ran statement analysis. That was insane. And then they all pop up on that screen. Super fun. PowerPoint. The PowerPoint. <laughs> Kung Fu is really strong. Because, Nigel, you know, if there's one thing that you should do is you should take paper. Instead of, like, using the actual paper, you should scan it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then make slides with the arrows drawing from here to here. Look, it says this and this and this. It reminds me of like at work when you know your boss doesn't think you're smart as you have to make everything fancier just to like <laughs> have a conversation <laughs> with them. Yeah, because all that work would take so much time and it looks like they're understaffed. So I was trying to figure out when she did all of that scanning and organizing. It looks like they're understaffed. Olivia says they're understaffed yeah, like 15 that. times. <laughs> Amanda, here, you take that whiteboard, <laughs> use some black tape to turn it into a calendar, and then hire a calligrapher to come in and write in the squares on the calendar mm-hmm. and make this PowerPoint just so that we can convince Barbara that something fishy is going on here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, she is, I'm just going to say it as a guy would, super pregnant. <laughs> as someone Did who's you notice? pregnant. Uh, yes. Every- <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. In fact, I think she's like, I'm going to say so pregnant. She's like 12 months pregnant. Yeah. 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 She's 12 months pregnant. <laughs> and no one's talking about yeah, it. She's got time. She's like, you're not going anywhere. <laughs> Imagine having her have to run up those stairs in, oh the, my God. in that building. Oh God. <laughs> the only reason that we see her in in, uh, in Barbara's office is because they shot this in July mm. and that set is like right next to the other one. Really? Like you're not going anywhere. <laughs> you're not walking around outside. <laughs> just don't get it until you get it. You just sit over there. Don't make any sudden moves. The time she wants to go to the D- DCS office, and even like Mariska becomes sexist for a minute and is like, no, nah, yeah. you just sit there. Yeah. yeah, that was a weird scene. Where did that come from? Let me pull my weight, Sarge. <laughs> no, literally, let me pull my weight. I'm investigating for two. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. All right, now let's look at the second half of this episode. Keith Muzio, Jeanette Grayson, and Matt Sheridan all plead not guilty. Meanwhile, Barba is feeling the political pressure for his actions. Hey, Barba, you got your poonam on TV, man. The press is kissing your ass. And now's the time to do your real job and plead this out. I'm sorry, you're NYPD's press boy, right? As you've already made clear, I don't work for you. Look, as a friend, I'd hate to see the tall poppy get cut down. Mom says things in the family had been improving before Keith stopped checking up on them. That's when Bruno's daddy got out of jail, which was fun for everyone except Keisha, who should have just kept her goddamn mouth shut. Mm. After the baby daddy was killed in a shooting, Mom went off the wagon and the real neglect began. Creasy convinces Keith to flip on his superiors. He says Jeanette and Matt just wanted the paperwork done and forced him to backdate the reports. They also filled out reports for dozens of other cases to cover their asses. At trial, Jeanette said she relied on Keith to give accurate reports, so she didn't know about the neglect. But Barbara confronts her with file after file of fraudulent reports and missed abuse and neglect. Jeanette claps back. Who's going to do this job? You, Mr. Barba? You, Judge? You want me on that wall? You need me on that wall? Did you order the code red on Santiago? <laughs> You're goddamn right I did! <laughs> While Jeanette winds up in Bellevue, the others get prison time, politicians resign, and the city promises reform. Dodds, ever the inspirational leader, says, well, we can't save them all. <laughs> <laughs> That's a real great ending. Yeah. Okay, so they interview Manuela about what happened, and she said when Felipe got out of jail, it was great. We weren't junkies. We were having fun, drinking, barbecuing. The two of us and Bruno, we were a family again. 
What about Keisha? Felipe wasn't Keisha's dad. She didn't like us partying. She mouthed off to him. And I told her to keep her mouth shut, but she wouldn't listen. They were a family. They were sober. They were having picnics. Barbecues. Barbecue. <laughs> what about Keisha? Oh, no, we beat her and put her in a cage. That's right. Everything but, but everything was else fine. was great. It was fine. <laughs> so bad. It sounds like everything was good, and we just forgot that we were putting this girl in a cage, and I yeah. went on heroin again. Yeah, it was really bad. I know that scene was brutal. Yeah, it was terrible. And also, like, didn't she identify Bruno as the good kid? That's my good kid. That's the one yep. I want to keep. Oh. Yeah. Th- that whole scene was, I don't know, I just found all the stuff with Manuel really heartbreaking and yeah. awful, especially with the carelessness with which it was treated by the writers. This is a really good example yeah. of SVU trying to do something progressive sort of looking to make you know uh, a difference by like exposing this corruption in the system and at the same time writing totally exploitative scenes about poor people who are also victims of the system and making them into villains very carelessly handled in my opinion yeah and the scene where um finn is kind of taunting her yes you know i miss keisha's funeral my transportation showed up three hours late that's why they're letting you see bruno now i'm doing eight years by the time I get out, he'll be halfway to a man. They found a good home for him. And if he's lucky, he won't remember any of this or you. Nigel, were you surprised that uh, the mom got to see Bruno and like they arranged this visit with Bruno, this kid who couldn't talk, had been horribly neglected um, as sort of an apology for her missing the funeral of the kid she murdered? Yeah. Was that a surprising Th- That was to surprising to me. Yeah, I thought that was very odd. I wasn't surprised about missing the funeral. No. I think that probably happens. But that seemed, yeah, that seemed strange to me. Well, it was also the bringing him in as a consolation prize and then also taunting her about, about you know, never being able to see him again. In front of him. Yeah, in front of him. Yeah, that <laughs> yeah. kid did not get much respect from anybody. No. 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 And he got the rotten fire truck to play with. They didn't no, give him an apple. They didn't give him an apple. Yeah. <laughs> All right, you want the snowballs? Okay, take the snowballs. <laughs> <laughs> And Finn also has another uncool moment in this episode when oh. he's interviewing that uh, that kid on the street yeah. and like <laughs> basically like calls him a snitch in front of his drug dealer friends, basically putting his life in danger just to get totally. what he wants. Like, not yeah. cool. And I have to say, at this moment, the thing with the camera where he's filming him, yep. that just, yeah, that, yep. didn't, that didn't play too well. My name's Tito Morales, and I'm recording the rest of this. Hey, Tito, keep snitching, and we'll drop those charges against you. Mom, man, I'm no snitch. Then start talking. Sweet wisdom from Finn. I laughed at uh, Hank Abrams' expressions about hmm. you got your you got your punim on TV. Which <laughs> I was like, yeah. I was like is yeah. that my grandmother talking? Yeah, yeah punim. <laughs> and then about cutting down the tallest poppy. I had never heard that expression before. I had Me to look neither. it up. Yeah, yeah. So is that a thing people say? I looked it up. Yeah. And, okay, so it's an Australian expression, and about if you if you stand too tall, you get cut down. You shouldn't be too proud. So, ah. um, and I've been. I've been um, enjoying various Australian expressions lately. Do you know this one? We're not here to fuck spiders. <laughs> <laughs> I heard Finn say that. <laughs> it's my new favorite expression. <laughs> That's something Ice T would say on Twitter, hundred <laughs> percent. It's a good one. <laughs> yes. And the spiders are so big there, conceivably you could. You could I know, it's a horrible thought, right? I mean, there's many bad things about that expression, but yeah, that vision is hard to take. <laughs> I, I'm trying to figure out ways to drop that into conversation. It doesn't happen too often, though. <laughs> Sounds like a great uh, episode title for- uh, Ear hustle, season hustle. We're not here to fuck spiders. <laughs> I will tell you, though, I got a coffee cup with that expression on it. So now that I have to do all these Zoom meetings- I try to strategically turn it. <laughs> so, do not get a coffee cup with it. I, I do, I do. Send me the link, Nigel. I'm, I'm getting to. one today. It's <laughs> the best present to give anybody. So Joaquin HR complaint, Deputy Dodds, <laughs> comes in to ask about Rollins and says to, to Benson. Also, Detective Rollins, I'm assuming you're aware that she's pregnant. I'm assuming you're aware she's pregnant. (laughs) (laughs) One of my favorite scenes in all of Law and Order history. (laughs) She's like, I'm a fucking sex detective. Of course I know she's pregnant. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, I mean, we already know that if you go on maternity leave, kids die. So yeah. we've already established that. It's bad. You get overworked. Leave. Yes. Pregnancy is bad in this episode. Uh, you end up being a horrible person and puts your kids in cages or yeah. you're leaving and, you know, ex- exercising your... You're li- leaving Keith in charge exactly. of all the stuff. Yeah. And if you're Rollins, you get stuck behind a desk... At forcing you to use your FBI earned pattern analysis skills or whatever. <laughs> but I will say this. I mean, Kelly Giddish, obviously, has been on the show for a long time. We've seen her pregnant a couple times on the show. Mm-hmm. I am in no way shaming a woman who is pregnant in any way. But did she not look like she was about to explode in this whole oh. episode? Even her face. Yeah. It was like swollen. Like she looked like if you could pr- walked up with her with a pin and like pricked her. She would, she pop. would completely pop. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, of course, Dodd comes back later and he says, don't worry, you're still going to be a lieutenant, but you're never going to guess. What? <laughs> well. They want a sergeant under you they can trust. You mean a spy? I found someone they like who will work for you. Motivated, smart. He just finished up a stint in anti-crime. Great. When can I interview him? Oh, there's no need. Tell me. No, 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 it's fine. Okay, it's my son. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to love him. It's fantastic. Nepotism. (laughs) Sexism. Nepotism. It's not like bringing in one of uh, Stabler's daughters. Oh, Kathleen? Kathleen's going to be your new sergeant. She is too overqualified for that job. She went to Hudson, and that's very prestigious. We are Hudson, where the bad guys go to school. Thank you for mentioning Hudson, so I can use the thing. (laughs) (laughs) So we get to the moment we've all been waiting for, and that's when Barba gets to go after Whoopi Goldberg on Mm. the stand. Emotionally, you mean he gets to go after Whoopi Goldberg on the stand. He's very emotional. I just want to point that out. Right. (laughs) He's like holding back tears at the press conference. Yeah. And he's choking up on cross-examination. Yep. But Rollins and Benson are too emotional. Yeah, just because they're pissed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. So, I mean, having to look across to see Whoopi Goldberg, uh, Raul Esparza does up his game, I think. A four-year-old girl, given the all-clear by you, on the very day that she was admitted to the ER with cigarette burns all over her body. Or how about an eight-year-old boy, case number 54624... Another success story on paper, when the reality was his mother was forcing him to drink bleach. You didn't know about any of these? No. How could I? How could you not? Are you the most incompetent manager in the world who can't tell the difference between a false report and a legitimate one? He starts off like, are you the most incompetent manager in all the world? And I would just have loved to have said that to so many people in my lifetime. (laughs) (laughs) Now it's Whoopi Goldberg's turn. Mm. She's like, Tony? What Tony? (laughs) (laughs) watch me tony winning man (laughs) (laughs) i got a tony you wouldn't last an hour in my world and if i go who's gonna be on front lines you you your honor i mean you dump the most hapless cases in the world on us every day more and more we get the dregs of humanity children raised by wolves so talk about uh, pure soliloquy here. She's basically saying, you're blaming me for not being able to fix society's ills. Look in the mirror, my yeah. friend. Raised by wolves. Yeah. That's what it really took off. Well, when, when she said raised and then she kind of scrunched her arms down and said wolves, I think that's where she really took off. Um, it, it was, she made great points. It was powerful. I thought it was interesting to see the expressions on the different people's faces because their acting was just not up to her level. <laughs> you know, like yeah. when the judge looked at her like, oh, Miss Grayson, do you need a break? And I'm like, whoopee, read the room. Yeah. You're about to allow it. You're, like someone is giving you an out to not hang yourself. Yeah. Like read the room when the judge says, do you need a break? Yeah. Take a break. Yeah. Although it made me wonder, because we hear at the end that she ends up not going to jail. She yeah. goes to Bellevue. Yeah. Did it feel like that? Mm-hmm. That speech was going to lead to a mental it breakdown. It didn't feel like, well, they, they described it as a complete mental breakdown, but it wasn't. It was her defense of herself. Yeah. 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 She was angry, but like they should have had her like quiver, or leap off the yeah. stand or something that yeah. said, not only did she just make an impassioned speech, but she's a little crazy. But she's too. a woman. So, you know. Oh, good yeah, enough. She's getting punished. Yeah. She's getting punished. Yeah. They're like, did you see she doesn't have any eyebrows? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was really confused. I hope this isn't jumping ahead when they said what all the sentences were. How she ended up in Belle- Bellevue made no sense to me. Yeah. Apparently that, but that was like supposed to be crazy talk. Yeah. Was it crazy talk because it was true? 
And like, oh, I'm like, this, and this yeah. was their way of getting like covering up the cover up. Exactly. Oh. That, that's what I was wondering. Yeah. You know, I mean, obviously, yeah. she said yeah. some things in the stand that were bad and racist and not cool about poor people and about. But she was really blaming the judge and the, prosec- the prosecutors yeah. and the cops for, you know, churning people through and never thinking about yeah. what happened before and not thinking about the kids and looking away from the homeless man on the subway. The, all that stuff was true. Mm-hmm. So is that why they sent her into Bellevue? Because they're like, oh, it can't be true because she's crazy. Right. They could silence her. Yeah. And would that be like a kind of civil commitment so they could keep her there as long as they wanted? Oh, yeah. That's a great law. Yeah. In New York, that's a thing, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. It is. I think they they established it first. I think that was uh, a rip from the headlines discussion we had once. Wow. So actually, um, Rebecca, I think that insight makes it all the more powerful Mm. that they were just trying to silence her. Yeah, I think we are probably giving these writers too much credit <laughs> for doing something more sophisticated than they were actually trying yeah. to do. <laughs> but it just you know, so you know, Whoopi Goldberg has a, a daytime Emmy. Yeah, um, she might have been trying for a primetime Emmy mm. right here, but uh, okay, it didn't happen. No, nope. So at the end, Carisi does go talk to Keith in jail. <laughs> yeah. uh, I forgot my pen. <laughs> oh, my yeah. Can we talk about that scene, gentlemen. I got my pen. Word of the wise, all right? I know the union lawyer of the three of you, but you are low man on the totem pole. So if anybody's going to take the fall here. <laughs> it goes back. Hey, I just want to get you without your lawyer. Oh, I left my pen in there. That lawyer just walks right. He's literally walking by the lawyer when he says, I forgot my pen. Yeah. The lawyer would be like, I'll go with you to yeah? get your pen. You weren't taking notes. <laughs> what the hell? Yeah, my pen. You're not uh, allowed to bring a pen into a jail. <laughs> I mean, a, I guess if you're the lawyer, you can have a pen. But and why was he even there? I don't. Let's let's ask Nigel. How, how many <laughs> have you left your pen behind at San Quentin oh, and God, had to go no. back? Uh, no, you don't leave <laughs> anything behind. No, 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 no. What if you wanted to go back? to, Oh, I forgot <laughs> but, something. No, they didn't go for that. I just forgot my pen. Okay, catch you on the outside. <laughs> whatever. We'll catch up later. Yeah, no, you you leave with whatever you bring in. <laughs> and I also wondered, like at San Quentin, do they have like a nice picnic area on the on the roof? Oh, <laughs> I was wondering. Okay, now where, was he supposed above. to be at Rikers? Where was? That's what they said. Okay, no, that looked very cushy, and it was it did. very well maintained. What was his sentence? What did, I couldn't figure out what he ended up getting. So Jeanette went to Bellevue. Matt, oh, he took a plea. Matt got a year. Yeah, they don't yeah. say what he got, but it seemed like he got screwed. To Mom me. got yeah. eight years. Yeah, because he made the plea deal for what? Uh, Just mur- so he could tell the murder story. by neglect or whatever. Yeah. And by the way, he didn't lock that deal down before he started talking. I was like, lock the deal down and yeah. then talk. I mean, even though I know he was trying to do the right thing. He's um, morally strong, Rebecca. He's morally strong. He was, morally he, strong. He was arrested leaving flowers. <laughs> so you know he's a good guy deep down inside. He was a newsie. He's just overworked. <laughs> yeah. I'm 100% convinced he was a newsie, by the way. That's just, yeah. I'm, I'm sure of it. Yeah. Look, at trial, the defense tries to say, Keith, you're responsible. And you're just trying to, you know, go after your supervisors. Your coworkers. Your coworkers. And like, no, no, that's not true. And you're, you know, you're covering for them. And- they're just trying to establish that maybe, Keith, maybe you're the bad worker and it isn't true that you were told to backlog all this stuff, backdate all this stuff. And I'm like, why don't you ask another worker? Mm-hmm. Why don't you just ask somebody else in the office? <laughs> Did this ever happen? I mean, this is what Keith says, so I guess that's good enough. I also felt so when he said at the end, his if he was going to Rikers, which is not great. I mean, what am I going to do when I get out? No one's going to let me work with kids again. You'll find your way. And his worry was if he was going to be able to work with children again. Yeah. It seems like he's got, a, a, you know, quite a few larger problems to deal with. Exactly. Yeah. He exactly. needs to refocus, right? Yeah, he needs to refocus on getting through whatever time he's getting. I mean, you've explored the issue of like reintegration and post-conviction yeah. employment and things like that. Should he be working with kids? <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> I had a soft spot for him. I thought he wanted to do the right thing. Am I wrong? No, I think he could be a florist. I think we were supposed to believe that Mm -hmm. we were supposed to have a soft spot for him. Absolutely. But if you go back and you watch the first interview he gives in the office where the kids are in the playpen in the middle, I will say like very often on these very ham-fisted episodes, Mm. you can tell that somebody has a secret or whatever because they like Mm. telegraph that. Like they're they're, they're lying, but they're like looking side to side. Like, please question me by myself when my boss is sitting (laughs) right. He didn't do that. He just lied. Yeah, you like right. happily lie. Yeah. He's like, I'm so not sure. I don't know. Yeah. I think getting caught was his conscience. That's my that's my opinion. Yeah. He would need much better supervision, that's for sure. And uh, be a little bit more of an advocate. So, no, you know, 
I guess he shouldn't work with children. Well, it seems like Frank got a new job, so maybe he could be the uh, security guard there. Oh, the angry yes. dads out. <laughs> <laughs> now, if, what did you think about the, the last shot? Was it just like a zeroing in on the on the pregnant belly and she's just rubbing her belly <laughs> i think we're supposed to be afraid <laughs> it's like what's what is that when you have, you have a gun in the first act is yeah exactly, exactly. oh i don't want that going off <laughs> i think she's doing the lady version of a stabler uh-huh. she's like oh the world my baby's gonna come in oh my baby can't believe this job's so hard on my baby <laughs> Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. Okay, let's take a look at the real-life story that inspired this episode. It's time for Ripped from the Headlines. You think you know who did it. You think you know who did it. But you don't know who did it. You don't know who did it. Ripped from the Headlines. This episode was inspired by the death of seven-year-old Nix Mary Brown. In 2006, her stepfather, Cesar Rodriguez, bashed the child's head against the bathtub. Her mother... Nixalax Santiago failed to take the child to the hospital after the beating. Investigators discovered the little girl endured a life of beatings and sexual abuse. The New York Administration of Child Services had received two complaints about the family, including that Nix Mary came to school with a black eye. But social workers failed to follow up and remove her from the home in the days before she was murdered. A whistleblower came forward to say ACS was trying to cover up its role in the girl's death. Officials at the department blamed a huge case backlog and employee burnout for its failures. In light of the controversy, the city disciplined several workers and reorganised ACS to work more closely with police. At their trials, the parents accused each other of being Nick's Mary's killer. Cesar Rodriguez was sentenced to 29 years for first-degree manslaughter. Though she didn't deliver the fatal blow, Nixaliz Santiago was sentenced to 43 years in prison. This case predates uh, Gabriel Fernandez. Oh, the Los Angeles cases. The yeah. Los Angeles cases. First of all, neither of these parents are redeeming figures, but mom got way more time. What do you think? Yeah, uh, sexism. Mm. That's why. Yeah. I think that is. No doubt. I mean, I'm not. I'm not like forgiving the mom and saying that like she shouldn't have gotten no time, but for her to get 14 years more than the person who actually committed the act of violence that killed a child. Because she's a woman and she's supposed to know better because the criminal justice system is sexist. Yeah, I think it was a different judge, Nigel, but I do remember the news reports um, that the judge did dress her down for having been a mother and failing at her maternal duties in in this case. And it seemed to be that was a a motivating factor for the judge's uh, sentence. Oh, yeah, no, no doubt. So should we be holding caseworkers responsible for what parents do to their kids or just in extreme circumstances, if at all. Should we be holding DCS responsible or, DFA yeah. or DHFS about, or whatever? Yeah, they're... I mean, criminal responsibility, being criminally liable for those actions. I have a hard time with it. I mm-hmm. do. I mean, I, 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 I think we have to listen to what uh, Jeanette said, right? It's this systemic failure. And oh, I, I don't know. I, I don't think they should be the scapegoats. They do have an impossible job. I mean, this does come up in the documentary, The Trials of Gabriel Fernandez, which would be good source material if anybody wants to sort of dig deeper into this issue in which, yes, you know, there are practices on child protective services that lead to these circumstances. But the reason for those practices has to do with things that are above the heads of the people doing those jobs, um, much above the heads. And nobody is holding, you know, the city council member 
who cast the deciding vote to slash the budget of that agency accountable. Right. Uh, And nobody, you know what I mean? It's like, it's like there is a whole ladder up that you could go. And I would always say you should go as high on the ladder as possible. So Nick's Mary's uh, family sued the biological father of Nick's Mary, who hadn't been in her life. Right. Received a settlement for $750,000. He's having to pay out uh, a legal legal fee, a motivating factor for governments to do better. It should be. Or is it just the cost of doing business? It should be. It is. It was not paid by the state. I'm sure it was paid by an insurer, first yeah. of all. Well, no, those, they're self-insured. Okay. Those entities, uh, right? Second, though, it's interesting to me that the number is public because usually the numbers are not public when it mm-hmm. comes to these kinds of settlements. And there's an NDA and so forth, and that's how this stuff keeps and happening. Not usually with the public entity. like a, I don't know. I mean, yeah. you see with police departments, you have to do a FOIA request to get those actual numbers from actual cases and so forth. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I mean, you would think $730,000 is not a lot of money in, this, in the scope of things, either for the victim in this case, uh, her father, or for the state to pay. So it doesn't sound particularly life-changing or motivating to me. Nigel, I don't think you have to be a deputy commissioner, Hank Abrams, (laughs) to know that the optics of putting an NDA on a legal settlement having to do with lack of transparency Mm. is not a good thing. No, not a good choice. Definitely not a good choice. So we should point out, though, that that guy, as we've talked about many times in the show, is later arrested in a later season for actually being a pedophile. What? Yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah. Yes. Child pornography, my friend. Oh, That's right. My goodness. Don't you feel better now? Wow. But looking at his stupid dick face this entire episode. Bo- wow. What episode is that? <laughs> All of them. Uh, <laughs> that is going to do it for us. We want to thank our guest, Nigel Poor. Nigel, where can our listeners follow you online? Oh, okay. Well, um, I do Instagram at uh, Nigel Poor. Yeah, we have. A, I do a podcast called the Ear Hustle, um, and that can be followed at Ear Hustle SQ on Twitter and Instagram. And our website is earhustlesq.com, and you can hear our podcasts wherever you enjoy hearing crime writers on, or these are our stories, or nice. any of the other uh, ones that you do. I can't believe she knows about us. <laughs> are you so kidding? Exciting. <laughs> I think I've emailed you and told you like on my way to San Quentin. I listen to my writers on <laughs> on the way back. Can't I listen it. to these are our stories. Still can't believe it. Tell your fancy friends. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Rebecca Lavoie, how can our listeners follow you? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. And yes, I'm also on Instagram, but it's mostly dogs at Reb Lavoie. <laughs> and you can track me on Twitter at Kevin P. Flynn. You can also tweet to us at Law and Order Pod or follow us on Instagram at These Are Their Stories Podcast. Our newsreader was Cy Freighter. Our theme music was composed and performed by Uncanny Valley's Line editing by Henry Lavoie. Content assistance from Travis Roy. Lily Flynn handles promotions. To get ad-free episodes of These Are Their Stories a week early, sign up for Stitcher Premium. All clips in this podcast were used in compliance with the U.S. Copyrights Act. Fair use exemption for criticism and commentary. Special thanks to the elite squad of the Law & Order Wiki community for preserving the evidence. Go to lawandorderpodcast.com and sign up for our newsletter for a chance to be our next Law & Order Marathon winner. These Are Their Stories was recorded in the Yoga Loft above the Bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio and is a production of Partners in Crime Media. Partners in Crime Media In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia.